Just a minute. I'm coming. FBI, open up! Just a minute. Hello, everybody. This is Legal Man. Welcome to the show. This is going to be a good episode. I'm going to continue and finish the sort of mini-series on Equal Protection Clause in the 14th Amendment and finish up Plessy and cover Brown v. Board of Education and show you the absurdities and the contradictions, the nonsense that these cases represent. And for people who don't know me, I'm a lawyer. I've practiced for more than 30 years. I'm America's most trusted and beloved lawyer because I tell people the truth. And the truth is I was a constitutional conservative and believed all of the court this and court that and freedom this and founders that for years and years and years. It's a complete dupe, government joker. And then about 25 years ago, I got the internet. And in fairly short order, I started to figure out that this whole thing is a scam. It's a con. It's a grift to keep me on a tax-paying plantation. There's nothing true about this constitutional conservatism. And when I did figure that out, I became self-certified as a master practitioner. I've also given myself a Lifetime Achievement Award for the fantastic work I've done on this podcast, telling people the truth. And when Jones Plantation is finally released, I'm going to go ahead and officially give myself the Presidential Medal of Freedom which is the highest award that a civilian can bestow upon themselves, apparently. So I want to give that to myself, too, for my fantastic performance in that movie. (laughs) All right, enough fooling around. The show already runs pretty long. Let's get started. So I'm going to continue this little mini-series on equal protection. We're going to finish up Plessy, which is the separate but equal case, and I'm going to cover Brown versus Board of Education, which overruled it. And I'm going to show you, because Brown's short, I'm going to show you that none of this stuff is legal. It's just made up. These are social and political decisions that are being made under the guise of being legal decisions. And not only do they have absolutely no force and effect, and they're complete and totally opposite of anything about of buying for the people, but the hypocrisy of the decisions is on display in that they pretend to be using these made-up standards which are not in any way in the Constitution or the amendments or anything else, and they come to completely and totally different conclusions. And that's not possible. You can't have a system where that's possible and enforceable. Because otherwise, what you end up with is this kind of Hunter Biden shit, where the Joe Biden is just corrupt as hell, the information's everywhere, the guy's been corrupt and known corrupt for 50 years and nothing happens to him. All these people are corrupt. Pelosi's corrupt, Obama's corrupt. All these people are corrupt and nothing happens to them. And people just run around, keep arguing about voting. Trump was in there for four years. His first two years, he had the House and the Senate. He didn't arrest anybody. He didn't do anything. He didn't clean up any of the corruption. He didn't do anything. And yet the people today continue to pretend like he's the savior and that he was never actually even in charge. And that if you look at the people he brought into his cabinet and his administration, they're all completely jokes. And they were jokes at the time. Just like that show I did about the voting that shows when you just get a little bit of space from it, a little bit of time, you see what a bunch of jokers all these people are. And yet at the time, they're all taken seriously and the people are all taken in by it because it's all just a giant show. It's all just a giant show. The system has no chance of ever working. It's not what you think. The system, whatever possibly could have even theoretically been, has been gone since 1861. I proved that again and again. So the thing that people are trying to hold together and keep together, I hear endless discussions about the corruption that's this and that, this can't stand and all this. It's like, dude, 
<laughs> what do you think September 11th was? Every year with the fakery. They've been lying about everything forever. This idea that the thing is just now corrupt, it's fake. The idea that these courts are in any way now corrupt, they've been corrupt forever. They've been corrupt forever. So what I want to do is I want to finish up Plessy because it's not that long and the dissent's not worth doing because we've got Brown versus Board of Education. And it's a better case to do because it shows you uh, what reasoning the so-called court uses and the legal stuff. And I just think it's such a great example of all the things I try to talk about crushed into this trans fantasy, this women's rights things, on and on and on. It's equal protection. It's complete nonsense. There's no equal protection under the law in any sense of the word in this country. It's not even a pretense of it at all. And they act as though the trans rights and gay rights or something is the height of equal protection. They just ignore all these financial inequities in the system. Well, the fake money system you have to use and certain people get advantages and the ability to access to the Fed window and on and on. No, that's considered a part of equal protection. <laughs> they just direct everybody into arguing with each other about being race or sex or trans. And they don't see that the government's created all these problems with all this fakery and that the government was just eliminated out. And we could massively decentralize. People could do what they want. These problems are not solvable by laws. That's all. They're just not. So I'm going to pick it up where we stopped, where we talked about the fact that the Constitution doesn't give the federal government this sort of general power to regulate on these issues of so-called equal protection. That's something the government at the federal level is only empowered to prevent at the state level. If the state does something that denies equal protection of the right to life, liberty, and property, and privileges immunities, then the federal government can step in. But this case, as I've showed, is completely on all fours with regards to both the interstate commerce showing that even operating a train as an interstate commerce back then and now flushing your toilet, putting flour in a hot dog bun, any of these things can be so-called interstate commerce now. They've just taken over everything because it's all moved away from any kind of rational interpretation. And it's all done with these phony baloney, three-pronged tests and burdens and standards of proof and evidence and all these things that the court just dreams up. And once they dream those up, then it's controlled. And that's exactly where we left off here. So let's pick up this Plus E.V. Ferguson opinion where we left it. So far, then, as a conflict with the 14th Amendment is concerned, the case reduces itself to the question whether the statute of Louisiana is a reasonable regulation and, with respect to this, there must necessarily be a large discretion on the part of the legislature. <laughs> you see that? So this is not going to be strictly scrutinized. This is not going to be intermediate scrutiny. This is going to be whether or not there's reasonable regulation. And in that situation, the legislature is entitled to broad discretion. Oh, at the broad discretion. Great deference must be shown. See, this is an example of those kinds of things. They've dreamed this up. There's nothing in the 14th Amendment that says that the state legislatures get large discretion with regards to whether or not they've inviolated this and that it only has to be a reasonable regulation. There's nothing about that. That's just something the court just dreamed up. They could have easily said that we will strictly scrutinize any legislation that comes out of a state which can even touch upon something 
and they would have no discretion and it would be a heavy burden and all these other things. They could add that stuff in all the time, except they always add it on the other side. It's the people always having to show these heavy burdens and conclusive evidence and all these other ways that they make it impossible to overturn this stuff whenever they want. And so there you are. There's your standard they've laid out. It's a reasonable regulation. And with respect to this, there must necessarily be a large discretion on the part of the legislature. How are you ever going to find something to not meet that standard? Any type of thing can meet that standard. That's what I'm saying. So a regulation this ridiculous and insane with regards to so-called equal protection, forcing people to sit on different cabs depending on what race the conductor decides you are. (laughs) Even that doesn't violate it. And as I've showed you again and again, this is not an outlier case. But imagine if you switched all that around. And instead of it being a reasonable regulation, it had to be that it would be strictly scrutinized and suspicious and they have to show, come forward with overwhelming evidence that it isn't. And imagine you could just easily turn this by just dreaming up another standard of review and it's completely made up by the court. So let's continue. In determining the question of reasonableness, It is at liberty to act with reference to the established usages, customs, and traditions of the people and with a view to the promotion of their comfort and the preservation of the public peace and good order. (laughs) That's that's the standard that the state legislature has to use. You like that? (laughs) How the hell are you going to get around that when they're showing large discretion with regards to a finding of that? (laughs) How are you going to ever win? You can't. It's not credible. This is the problem. The fundamental problem in the system lies in things like this and these kind of details. And it's in everything. It doesn't matter if it's in these investigations. It doesn't matter if it's civil IRS or SEC. It doesn't make any difference. This is where the rubber meets the road in this fantasy world that the courts create. And then people run around and tell me it's constitutional law. And this is why you get these opinions all over the board and nobody has the slightest idea what's going to happen and the court can justify anything. Because look at that absurdity. (laughs) It's just a word salad of Barnum statement nonsense that anything can be justified within or not justified within, right? Established usages. When are you going to get that? Customs. Can anything be more vague than that? Traditions of the people? A view toward the promotion of their comfort and the preservation of the public peace and good order. I mean, that's just, it's nonsense, people. But this is what was held up as this supposed august law that we're all supposed to bow down to. Okay? Here's what the court says. Gauged by this standard, (laughs) we cannot say that a law which authorizes or even requires the separation of two races in public conveyances is unreasonable or more obnoxious to the 14th Amendment than the acts of Congress requiring separate schools for colored children in the District of Columbia, the constitutionality of which does not seem to have been questioned or the corresponding acts of state legislatures. Boom, mic drop. They just put it in their face. Look, dude. Congress has authorized these black and white schools. So don't come here telling us that you're going to complain under the so-called due process, the equal protection clause, the 14th Amendment, that doing this is a violation when it's happening inside Louisiana. You see, there's no way to get around that. 
And that's really hugely important when we go read Brown. Because listen to that. Congress itself is doing it. (laughs) Okay? So it's clearly constitutional. It's completely impossible to think it's not. This is absurd at this point. So it's just a complete slam dunk. Continue. We consider the underlying fallacy of the plaintiff's argument to consist in the assumption that the enforced separation of the two races stamps the colored race with a badge of inferiority. It's not on a legal colorblind basis. It's not. It doesn't matter what the societal implications are. Those are not legal issues. The state's not involved in that. It's no different than the fact that short men are horribly discriminated against on dating sites. That's not a matter of equal protection that you must date shorter men. It's not. (laughs) It's just the reality of the world. There's always going to be differences. The vast majority of these things are cultural anyway. (laughs) They aren't based on color. Plenty of white people are very dark, darker than a lot of so-called black people. (laughs) That's just the facts. It's about culture. You can't legalize, illegalize culture and expect people to get along. It doesn't work. Continue. If this be so, in other words, if this be a badge of inferiority, it is not by reason of anything found in the act, but solely because the colored race chooses to put that construction upon it. The argument necessarily assumes that if, as has been more than once the case and is not unlikely to be so again, The colored race should become the dominant power in the state legislature and should enact a law of precisely similar terms. It would thereby regulate the white race to an inferior position. (laughs) Is that what would happen? No, it's race neutral. We imagine that the white race, at least, would not acquiesce in this assumption. The argument also assumes that social prejudices may be overcome by legislation and that equal rights cannot be secured to the Negro except by an enforced commingling of the two races. We cannot accept this proposition. If the two races are to meet upon terms of social equality, it must be the result of natural affinities, a mutual appreciation of each other's merits, and a voluntary consent of individuals. How about that language? I mean, look at that. That's actually some truth there, right? That's some truth. The reality is this is a social issue. It's not a legal issue. They have equal stuff. They do. You can disagree with it all you want. I don't think they need to be have any of these laws. But if you're going to have them and pretend the Constitution is this thing, we have to legally interpret it. The evidence is overwhelming that it was not designed to force commingling of the races and to obliterate all these differences. And it wasn't designed to do all this stuff for women and trans. It just wasn't. That's all. It just wasn't. It's just something that has been created since then in order to push society in the direction they want to go. That's all. There's an amendment process if that's the case, and they just need to amend. But they can't get amendments, and so they do it like this. Let's continue. As was said by the Court of Appeals of New York and People versus Gallagher, this end can neither be accomplished nor promoted by laws which conflict with the general sentiment of the community upon whom they are designed to operate. When the government, therefore, has secured to each of its citizens equal rights before the law and equal opportunities for improvement and progress, it has accomplished the end for which it was organized and performed all the functions respecting social advantages with which it is endowed. Got it? Trans rights, they're no part of it. 
That's not the job of the government. People don't want to participate with trans crap, then they don't have to. And the law doesn't protect it. And it's complete nonsense. If the trans can get in there and get laws, then good luck to them. <laughs> Go see if you can do it. This is the insane system we have. Each side pitted against each other trying to get laws. I've said it again and again. Look around. People want to be with people who are like themselves. It has very little to do with actual color. The only reason color plays a part is because the color is an overhang of the culture. Certain cultures tend to have people who look a certain way. The people who look a certain way tend to have a certain culture. But there's tons of exceptions to each one of them. Well, look at Hootie and the Blowfish, that Hootie guy. He's a big fucking country star. He's a black man. He's accepted in country music. It's not about color. It's about culture. You can't legalize it. You can't criminalize it. It doesn't work, people. It just causes strife. People can live together without being shoved together. <laughs> That's the reality. Let's finish this up. Legislation is powerless to eradicate racial instincts or to abolish distinctions based upon physical differences. And the attempts to do so can only result in accentuating the difficulties of the present situation. If the civil and political rights of both races be equal, one cannot be inferior to the other civilly or politically. That's it. This is bottom line. You can't. If one race be inferior to the other socially, the Constitution of the United States cannot put them upon the same plane. <laughs> I mean, how much does that simply sum it all up? There's nothing you can do about making laws to eradicate social differences. Rich people are not going to hang out with poor people. Ugly people are not going to get to hang out with the beautiful set. This is the way it is, people. This is the way it is. And our overlords use these visions in order to create and to divide and conquer. All right, this is the last paragraph. It is true that the question of the proportion of colored blood necessary to constitute a colored person as distinguished from a white person is one upon which there is a difference of opinion in the different states. Some holding that any visible admixture of black blood stamps the person is belonging to the colored race gives a citation. Others that it depends upon the preponderance of the blood and still others that the preponderance of the white blood must only be in proportion of three-fourths. But these are questions to be determined under the laws of each state and are not properly put in issue in this case. Under the allegations of his petition, it may undoubtedly be become a question of importance whether under the laws of Louisiana, the petitioner belongs to the white or colored race. Listen to all that language in there, that the states are free to decide who's a white person and not a white person, who's a black person. All these census data collected with regards to all this demographic data of where you're born and where you're from, and, and they have you check off all these boxes with regards to your race. Why is that even permitted? Why can they even collect any of its equal protection? Why should it even be? It should be race neutral, but it's not. We have affirmative action. We have all sorts of crazy shit now. And that's how we get there. Through this system, I'm showing you the way it actually functions. See, I'm showing the way the system actually functions. And so now I want to read most of Brown, or at least some of Brown, and show you the kind of nonsense they came up with with regards to legal arguments for why they should get rid of it. <laughs> there are no legal arguments in here, trust me. 
Here it is. The Gust Chief Justice Warren, piece of crap, delivered the opinion. There's multiple different cases that are brought together in this as well. So they consolidated them, okay? In each of the cases, minors of the Negro race, through their legal representatives, seek the aid of the courts in obtaining admission to the public schools of their community on a non-segregated basis. In each instance, they had been denied admission to schools attended by white children under laws requiring or permitting segregation according to race. The segregation was alleged to deprive the plaintiffs of the equal protection of the laws under the 14th Amendment. In each of the cases, other than the Delaware case, a three-judge federal district court denied relief to the plaintiffs on the so-called separate but equal doctrine announced in Plessy versus Ferguson. Under that doctrine, equality of treatment is accorded when the races are provided substantially equal facilities, even though these facilities be separate. In the Delaware case, the Supreme Court of Delaware adhered to that doctrine but ordered that the plaintiffs be admitted to white schools because of the superiority to the Negro schools. The plaintiffs contend that segregated public schools are not equal and cannot be made equal, and that hence they are deprived of the equal protection of the laws. <laughs> okay, well, look, if they're equal, they're equal, Right. But the reality is most of this stuff is cultural. Go into an inner city. It's not all blacks, but mostly black schools. They're complete wrecks and they have been forever. And nothing about Brown v. Board fixed that. Go out to the suburbs where it's mostly white and guess what? The schools are fine. Oh, they have more money. They have more money. We all know it's not about money. We all know it's not about money. The schools 100 years ago they didn't have near as much money. The schools 50 years ago they didn't have near as much money. It doesn't take a lot of money to get an education. The problem is the places are war zones. You've got all this mandatory schooling. They're forced to keep all those delinquents in there. They shove all this commie propaganda in there. They bore the crap out of people. That's what it's all about, people. You've got a bunch of kids that don't have a structure in family life. Their parents are on drugs. They're criminals. It's problematic. They're working in crap conditions. This all goes back to this fake money system and these fucking overhangs. These are cultural problems. They have nothing to do with the color of people's skin. Bringing black kids into a nice white school doesn't make the school continue on. The, the white kids just move further out and the schools just go to hell. Everybody can watch it happen. It's not about race. <laughs> You're not going to fix this problem. But here you are. This is how they state it. Okay. They contend they're not equal. Well, one of the courts said that they ordered the kids admitted into the white school because the schools weren't equal. Okay, well, if you don't have equal schools, that's fine. But if I give you equal facilities and then the people tear it all up, that doesn't mean that you weren't given equal facilities. It doesn't mean you weren't given equal rights. It means you were given something and it was all torn up. That's not the state's fault. It's not a legal obligation. It's not a legal fix. To any of these problems. They bring all these kids and they don't even speak English all over Texas. What the hell are you supposed to do? They bring people in that don't speak languages all over from Africa and the Middle East. And they shove them in these communities. And it destroys the schools. This is not a black-white issue, people. This is a government problem. Government's causing all these problems. Continue. Because of the obvious importance of the question presented, the court took jurisdiction. (laughs) <laughs> what are you talking about? It's a settled matter. If at the trial court they show they aren't equal, then you have a cause of action, just like they did in Delaware. If they don't, well, then you don't. It's a settled matter. There's nothing to bring up. Nothing in the Constitution has changed. There's nothing to bring up. There's not a basis to hear it again. There's nothing that gives the Supreme Court the authority to just overturn itself. Argument was heard in the 1952 term, and re-argument was heard in this term on certain questions propounded to the court. 
Re-argument was largely devoted to circumstances surrounding the adoption of the 14th Amendment, 1868. Listen to this shit. What is this crap? You got 100 years worth of evidence. You've got the United States Congress after it having black and white schools. What, what is there to bring? Bring in circumstances surrounding it. It's irrelevant at this point. It's just utter nonsense. It covered exhaustively consideration of the amendment in Congress, ratification by the states, then existing practice and racial segregation, the views of proponents and opponents of the amendment. Who cares? Who cares? I've already showed you the 14th Amendment wasn't even properly ratified. It's really impossible to have looked at the way it was ratified. It's a joke. This discussion and our own investigation convinces us that, although these sources cast some light, it's not enough to resolve the problem with which we are faced. <laughs> There's no problem. It's already been determined for 100 years with case law. That's the supposed law of the land. At best, they are inconclusive. You have to be kidding me. I just read you the case. It's not inconclusive. It's dead on all fours. There's overwhelming so-called legal evidence. The most avid proponents of the post-war amendments undoubtedly intended them to remove all legal distinctions among all persons born or naturalized in the United States. Their opponents just as certainly were antagonistic to both the letter and the spirit of the amendments and wished them to have the most limited effect. What others in Congress and the state legislatures had in mind cannot be determined with any degree of certainty. Okay, so it's all shit, people, as I've said again and again. There's no agreement. No one can decide what words even mean. We have 100 years worth of law on the books. That's it. You don't like it? Get constitutional amendments. An additional reason for the inconclusive nature of the amendment's history with respect to segregated schools is the status of public education at the time. They completely leave out the fact that Congress was segregating the schools. In the South, the movement toward free common schools supported by general taxation had not yet taken hold. Right? Public education wasn't even around. The government should have nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it. It's insane. But here we are, all fighting about it. Oh, it's so important people get their kids educated. They weren't bound to this government crap, indoctrination. Education of white children was largely in the hands of private groups. Listen to this shit. They're just destroying their own case. Education of Negroes was almost non-existent, and practically all the race were illiterate. In fact, any education of Negroes was forbidden by law in some states. <laughs> oh, my God. Today, in contrast, many Negroes have achieved outstanding success in the arts and sciences, as well as in business and professional world. It is true that public school education at the time of the amendment had advanced further in the North, but the effect of the amendment on northern states was generally ignored in the congressional debates. What are you talking about? We just went through all the different evidence, and anybody who wants to look at it needs to go pull Plessy v. Ferguson and look at all the citations. This is a complete and total distortion. The curriculum was usually rudimentary. Ungraded schools were common in rural areas. The school term was but three months a year in many states, and compulsory school attendance was virtually unknown. This sounds like heaven. This sounds like fucking heaven. As a consequence, it is not surprising that there should be so little history of the 14th Amendment relating to its intended effect on public education. Exactly. The court has absolutely no authority to go into this area. None. In the first cases in this court construing the 14th Amendment, decided shortly after its adoption, the court interpreted as prescribing all state-imposed discrimination against the Negro race. <laughs> sure it did. What a complete fucking fraud. My God, the distortions that this court will go into. The doctrine of separate but equal did not make its appearance in this court until 1896. They just leave out the 
entire civil rights legislation and then being struck down by the court in 1883. They just leave it all out. <laughs> it's so distorted. See, this is the problem with Supreme Court. Nobody grades their paper. You're not allowed to bring up all the error they make, all the distortions they make, all the lies they tell in their own opinions. It just gets stood. And now we're all just supposed to sit around and think Brown v. Board of Education is some kind of holy scripture. Hi, it's Legal Man. I hope you're enjoying the show. If you appreciate the unique insight and information I provide, then go over to my Patreon account for The Quash and become a member. I have bonus shows and material, early access, and it's a good place to meet like-minded people. I have people ask me all the time, what can we do, legal man? <laughs> well, start by voting with your pocketbook. It's the only vote that really counts. Support things that tell people the truth. Getting people to understand the truth is the only solution we have to this insanity. Look, I get it. There are a lot of people who can't afford to support my show with money. But there are a lot of people who can. And if you can and you like the show, you should support it. That's what free markets look like. The people running this scam, they have unlimited funding. I don't have support of that system. In fact, I get harassed because I tell people the truth that they don't want the people to know. So we have to stick together. So go sign up. Now let's get back to the show. <laughs> it's so distorted. See, this is the problem with Supreme Court. Nobody grades their paper. You're not allowed to bring up all the error they make, all the distortions they make, all the lies they tell in their own opinions. It just gets stood. And now we're all just supposed to sit around and think Brown v. Board of Education is some kind of holy scripture. Separate but equal did not make its appearance in this court until 1896 in the case of Plessy versus Ferguson. Involving not education, but transportation. Oh, okay, so read it. It talks all about all sorts of things. American courts have since labored with the doctrine for over half a century. Oh, they're laboring with uh, constitutional law now. So now they labor with the constitutional law. Oh, okay. In this court, there have been six cases involving the separate but equal doctrine in the field of public education. The validity of the doctrine itself was not challenged. <laughs> so there's all sorts of things they could have done during that time. But the reality is they're stuck with it. So they say they labor under it. What do you mean? It's their own damn rule. In more recent cases, all on the graduate school level, inequality was found in that specific benefits enjoyed by white students were denied to Negro students of the same educational qualifications. In none of these cases was it necessary to reexamine the doctrine to grant relief to the Negro plaintiff. And in, then it cites another case, the court expressly reserved decision on the question of whether Plessy v. Ferguson should be held inapplicable to public education. Got it? So separate but equal. It exists all sorts of other places now, though, right? We still have separate but equal everywhere else. No, you don't have separate but equal anywhere. See, it's all completely destroyed. So they give it this idea that somehow they're doing this legal analysis and they're strictly interpreting and they're just looking at education. They're not. <laughs> they're not. This is not accurate. See, this is lies. This is the deception. This is the problem, people, is that people are not told the truth about these opinions. These are just some people who disagree and are writing another opinion. That's it. It's all it is. In the instant cases, meaning all these different cases they've joined together and called Brown, that question is directly presented. Here, unlike Sweat v. Painter, there are findings below that the Negro and white schools involved have been equalized or being equalized with respect to buildings, curricula, qualifications, salaries of teachers, and other tangible factors. Our decision, therefore, cannot turn on merely a comparison of these tangible factors in the Negro and white schools involved in each case. We must look instead to the effect of segregation itself on public education. Got it? 
Can't look at the actual facilities. Can't look at the actual legal effect. No, no, no. We've got to look at this thing, this general Barnum statement of the effect on public education, whatever that means. They don't even consider the fact that the federal government has absolutely no authority to even be in the field of public education. Has no authority whatsoever to regulate it, legislate it in any form or fashion. None. Now we have a Department of Education passing curriculum, handing out the money. (laughs) pushing all the shit into the schools. See, this is the problem. It's always creep. It goes in one direction because of the way the system works. In approaching this problem, we cannot turn the clock back to 1868 when the amendment was adopted or even 1896 when Plessy was written. We must consider public education in the light of its full development, its present place in American life throughout the nation. Why don't you just consider the constitutional language and the authority of the United States government? What are you doing in analyzing public education? What are you talking about? Only in this way can it be determined if segregation in public schools deprives these plaintiffs of the equal protection of the laws. Well, all sorts of things can be under this kind of analysis because there's a different outcome. You can say that they weren't equal. Outcomes are not what you look at. You say, what is the language? What are the facilities? Are they equal? Yes. Okay. Well, if they're not equal, you got a problem because that's what the Constitution says. That's what the Holy Supreme Court has told us. That's what endless decisions and history have told us. This is what was happening right after his past. The fact that people want to change their mind about it, that's what you got to get a constitutional amendment for. But here you are, this vague crap. Today, education is the most important function of state and local governments and shouldn't even be involved with it. See, it shouldn't even be involved. All this mandatory schooling you have to get for all these different things, it's all a concoction, a control system to brainwash the population. Compulsory school attendance laws and the great expenditures for education both demonstrate our recognition of the importance of education to our democratic society. What a joke. Government schools are the worst. They're complete garbage. Most of the kids can't even read and write when they leave them. Listen to this hypocrisy. It is required in the performance of our most basic public responsibilities. Listen to this shit. There's nothing like this in the Constitution. Even service in the armed forces. It's the very foundation of good citizenship. Wow, brainwashing. Today, in its principal instrument in awakening the child to cultural values. Yeah, trans shit. They jam in. In preparing him for later professional training and in helping him to adjust normally to his environment. In these days, it's doubtful that any child may reasonably be expected to succeed in life if he's denied the opportunity of an education. That's right. The government's made sure of that. With the fake money system, the fake corporations requiring these fake degrees in order to do anything. Fake licenses. The reality is the black economy and culture and society was doing way better. It was picking up massive amounts of steam in the 50s and 60s. And it had to be stopped. So the federal government stepped in to make sure that was never going to work. They were never going to achieve. The government has destroyed the black family, destroyed the black society, destroyed all the black culture and businesses. That's what it's done. Go to a black neighborhood. The thing's been wrecked. The idea that this is for their good, this is all lies, people. This is all lies. Such an opportunity where the state has undertaken to provide it. (laughs) is a right which must be made available to all on equal terms. Well, we just went through the fact that he just said it wasn't going to be on equal terms. We weren't going to look at the actual structures, functions, salaries. No, we're not going to look at that. We're going to look at this vague concept. We come then to the question presented, which they've just created. 
does segregation of children in public schools solely on the basis of race, even though the physical facilities and other tangible factors may be equal, deprive the children of the minority group of equal educational opportunities? We believe that it does. Okay, this is it. This is the so-called legal analysis they perform. You like that? That's it. <laughs> in Sweat v. Painter, in finding that a segregated law school for Negroes could not provide them equal educational opportunities, this court relied in large part on those qualities which are incapable of objective measurement, but which make for greatness in a law school. In other words, the system is a giant system of connections. And the idea of having to go to law school to be a lawyer is another complete concoction, another way to keep a vertical supply and to make sure that anyone who they don't want to achieve doesn't achieve. You can't so-called get in. Now, if you just check the box black and female and disabled or trans, you get in. And a white man can't get in. (laughs) it's just as absurd, but apparently that's all okay under equal protection. You see what I'm saying? It's all completely made up. Government has no business doing any of this. It's created this mess with all this compulsory education, these fake degrees and everything else. That's what the problem is. In McLaurin v. Oklahoma, the court and requiring that a Negro admitted to a white graduate school be treated like all other students, again, resorted to intangible considerations. Well, then it's all completely shit because they're never going to be treated like every other student. Nobody is. As I've said, if you're a short, ugly dude, you've got no chance. If you're a tall, good-looking guy, you can just write your own ticket, just like a good-looking woman. Do they have to be so-called treated equally? Why are they even checking race on applications? Look at the Asians now. <laughs> they're all being discriminated against the opposite way. It's just, this stuff can't be solved with this kind of nonsensical system. See, that's the problem. His ability to study, to engage in discussions and exchange views with other students, and in generally to learn his profession. (laughs) You can't require that people interact with this man. This makes no sense. (laughs) Such considerations apply with added force to children in grade and high schools. You think you can actually regulate Clicks in high school? How many people are not part of the in crowd? Listen to how dumb all of this is. To separate them from the others of similar age and qualifications solely because of their race generates a feeling of inferiority as to their status in the community that may affect their hearts and minds in a way unlikely ever to be undone. Oh, Jesus Christ. And public schools are doing a great job now. What about all male schools? All female schools? <laughs> what about that? Why isn't that an abuse? Why isn't that equal protection? See, there's no real principle here. This is not legal analysis of something. It's an impossibility for this to ever work, people. Impossibility. A sense of inferiority affects the motivation of a child to learn. (laughs) Okay, I agree. They come in a million different ways. Wearing braces, having acne having poor clothes, parents can't afford something nice. I mean, what is this? You're a bad athlete, you're a good athlete, you're a nerd. I mean, ah, it's so dumb, man. So dumb. Segregation with a sanction of law. We were just told that segregation with a sanction of law in the other case was completely constitutional in a million ways. It was dead on accurate. There's no way to get around that. You cannot possibly come back and say this without addressing it. But they don't. They just say, segregation with a sanctioned law therefore has a tendency to retard the educational and mental development of Negro children and to deprive them of some of the benefits they would receive in a racially integrated school. And then they footnote, just some horseshit. Okay. 
All sorts of things retard the educational mental development of children, of all sorts of things and races. It has nothing to do with the so-called segregation. And the segregation has already been determined to be fine by the court. Whatever may have been the extent of psychological knowledge at the time of Plessy versus Ferguson, this finding is amply supported by modern authority. Follow the science, I guess. We're supposed to follow the science. I got it. The court's not in the business of doing psychological analysis, okay? This is nonsense. This is fantasy. Plessy versus Ferguson was clear as day. It's about political rights. It's about legal rights, and that's not what this is. So I'm turning it on its head. They're not explaining how it's going to happen. They're not addressing all the issues that were in Plessy. They're just overrunning them. Any language in Plessy versus Ferguson contrary to this finding is rejected. You got it? So whatever may have been the extent of psychological knowledge at the time of Plessy, this finding is amply supported by modern authority. And any language in Plessy contrary to this finding is rejected. Got it? (laughs) We conclude that in the field of public education, the doctrine of separate but equal has no place. Separate educational facilities are inherently unequal. Inherently. You got it? This is the culture argument. It doesn't work, people. It's not a legal argument. Therefore, we hold that the plaintiffs and others similarly situated for whom the actions have been brought are, by reason of the segregation complained of, deprived of the equal protection of the laws guaranteed by the 14th Amendment. This disposition makes unnecessary any discussion whether such segregation also violates the due process clause of the 14th Amendment. That's it. That's the entire analysis by the court. That's the legal analysis by the court that overturns 100 years worth of law, precedent, supposed jurisprudence, go down the list of all the supposed holy things we're supposed to believe. That's it right there. That's it. Now we're sitting on a trajectory of all this fantastic equality and cultural solving and everything else. Has that been the result? <laughs> Is that the result? That's no, not the result. It's not the result. And if people want that result, they have to pass an amendment. That's what they have to do. They have to pass an amendment. You can't solve these problems. These are cultural problems. They're not legal problems. And to the extent they're even legal problems, the court has already decided they are not applicable to the 14th Amendment. You just can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. You can't have Brown be the law and Plessy not be the law. You can't, because there's nothing in the Constitution that gives the Supreme Court the authority to overrule itself. There, there just isn't. You can't have the Constitution say one thing and then have it say the opposite. <laughs> they didn't address Plessy. They just turned to address Plessy with this one thing, this psychological considerations. It's completely absurd. There's a whole ton of stuff in that opinion. They just ignore it. See, they just ignore it. And this is the reality. Now you see how the pieces fit together and how... These pieces that you're told are legal pieces. They're not even legal pieces. And the pieces that are legal pieces, they just ignore. And they just make all this stuff on the fly. It doesn't even tell you the analysis, the standard, or anything else they're using. They just literally just announce it. And that's it. <laughs> I'm buying for the people. Got it? I'm buying for the people. And it's this kind of decision that enabled the busing, requiring that you be transported all over the fucking city. You think that's a good deal? That's equal? It's equal to get up in the morning, get on a bus and get bus someplace? It's equal to be living in a neighborhood and not have any of the people who live in your neighborhood? (laughs) Be going to school there and just filled with people who aren't from your neighborhood? I don't get it. This is all the same kind of thing. 
See, this is the basis for it, people. This is the actual way it fits together. This is the actual conversation people need to have. This is why these large governments don't work. This is why everything has to be decentralized. This is why people have to be re-educated. This is why constitutional conservatives are so damaging, because what they do is a complete lie. They take everybody we need, and they drain them off. They drive them into ditches. So... Well, that's all I'm going to say about equal protection for now. There's other things with equal protection I may cover, but I think that's a really good spattering. It's four different shows on it, and there's just no way to argue with what I've said. There just isn't. They're trapped inside of their own, as they say, hoisted on their own petard at this point because you can't have Plessy be the law and then have Plessy be overruled. Because they don't have the authority to overrule. And the opinion that did overrule it is just a joke, legally. It's a complete joke. It's as much of a joke as Roe v. Wade was, which now, of course, they then, of course, overturned. So it's all made up, people. All of this stuff is made up. It's a legal control system. That's all. It's a legal control system. All right. Well, that's all I'm going to say about that. So if you want to follow me, you can. I'm Legal Man at U.S. Crime Review on Twitter. And I want to thank the people in Patreon who support my show. You guys have a lot of integrity, and I really appreciate people who support my show because I know I've told people all sorts of things they've never, ever heard in their life, and they're never going to hear. That's all. They're just never going to hear. But tons of people like my show, and they don't support it. Um, okay, whatever. That's the way it goes. Uh, I appreciate the people who do. And as far as Jones Plantation goes, the movie, I play Mr. Jones. It's an allegory about going from chattel slavery to debt slavery. And I'm a kind of drunk dick plantation owner. And we take all the official narratives about voting and the rights and the freedom and all the stupid crap. And we just blow it up. And people have seen it a couple different times now on some screenings and they really liked it. And we're hoping that we can expand the screenings and the availability digitally soon. And as soon as that get any new information about it, I will let you know. But in the meantime, that's all I got. Thank you to anybody who supports that project. And I don't think I've got anything else to say, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. You guys have been a great audience as usual. Everybody have a nice night or day wherever you are. Take care. Thank you, everybody. Let's put your hands together one more time for Legal Man. Great show. Thanks so much. I get to check your service on the way out. More quash. More quash.